following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading this evening is Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. You can find this on page 59 of the Church Bibles. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much. Uh, well, good evening, everybody. Um, I hope you're all really well. Well done for battling the, the wind and the rain to get here. Um, my name is Esther. Um, I have been living in Durham for nearly 10 years um, since I was a student and basically fell in love with the Northeast. Uh, so if you're studying here, um, you've got that to look forward to. And um, I helped to lead a movement called IJM. And it just a little show of hands, who's heard of IJM? A few, oh, a lot of you, amazing, okay. IJM stands for International Justice Mission, and we are the world's largest anti-slavery organization. So we work on the ground, in the trenches, finding and rescuing children and families uh, from cases of slavery and oppression. Recently, we just celebrated rescuing over 50,000 people. And we exist because by the time I'm finished speaking, or by the time, sorry, we finished meeting, around 180 children will be sold. The reality is, two children are sold into slavery every minute. And they're sold into brothels and bars and sweatshops. But we know children don't belong in brothels and bars and sweatshops, right? They belong in families and playgrounds and schools. Two children sold every minute but God knows their name. Let me share you 
one of their names. This is Joy. I can't show you a picture of her face. If I could, you would see that she's got bright eyes. She's an amazing young woman. She's sharply intelligent. She's got a wicked sense of humor. And uh, she grew up uh, in the Philippines. And like many of uh, the clients that we work with, she grew up in poverty. It's around her 10th birthday when she was sold into slavery by her aunt. And in slavery, she was sexually abused by people who were both physically present and those who would pay to watch online around the world to live stream the abuse, including those who are here in the UK. And Joy's case was actually one of the first that we'd come across of this online form of exploitation using the internet, you know, truly the most modern form of slavery you can imagine. And Joy described her life as a teenager as being like a dog. Can you imagine that? Now, in 2013, we worked with local police, both here in the UK and here in the Philippines, to use the online data to pinpoint the exact location where Joy was being held. And working with the local police, we invaded the shack and we rescued her. And what we actually found is that her aunt was abusing dozens and dozens of children in the neighborhood. And that was where Joy's new life began as the hard work of learning to live in freedom started. And now fast forward about five and a half years or so. Last summer, uh, Joy came to visit the UK. And she came with me uh, to a Christian conference. Um, It was new wine, if any of you have come across new wine. And she came uh, to share her story. And what happened was absolutely remarkable. She shared about her life, not as a victim, but as a survivor. She shared about how she'd won a scholarship to university, about how she is studying to be a social worker, about how she mentors other young girls, how somewhere in the midst of her healing, she had found Jesus and Jesus had found her. And she stood, this tiny girl, in this like massive space, sharing probably the most vulnerable story I have ever heard anybody tell in public. And I tell you, she should have been shaking like a little leaf. She should have been terrified out of her comfort zone. But I tell you, she blew the room away. And as I was listening to her, I was reminded of the story that you guys have been looking at these last few weeks. I was reminded of when God sets the children free from, uh, from Egypt, when he calls them out of slavery. And if you remember the, sto- the story, God tells the Israelites, he tells them they're going to leave Egypt, but he says to them, they're going to carry the wealth of the Egyptians with them. In other words, he promises them that they are not going to leave empty-handed. And as I listened to Joy speak, I thought, you have not left this empty-handed. You have not left this empty-handed because the Holy Spirit has been at work in you to rebuild you to reconnect you to your heart and your identity and your faith and your calling and your passion. 
You know, I wouldn't have wished Joy's life on anyone, if I'm honest. But she is living proof to me that there is no dead end with the Holy Spirit. That there is no pit that is too deep. There is no one that is too far gone or too far broken that the Holy Spirit cannot reach down and bring life and healing and transformation. And her story is an amazing reminder to me that there is really good news in the face of injustice. And the good news is this, that God has always been looking to set the captive free. Today, he's just still looking for those who will stand and say, let my people go. I wonder, who in the room here learnt about slavery in their history lessons at school? Yeah? Take a look around. A lot of us, right? We tend to talk about slavery nowadays in the context of history, don't we? We learn about the abolition of slavery uh, as if it doesn't exist anymore. However, Few people know the truth, which is that we live in a point in history where there are more people in slavery today than there have ever been at any point in history before us. We're somewhere around the 40 million mark. That's approximately the population of Canada. And that is four times the number of slaves that are extracted during the whole 400 years the transatlantic slave trade. So if when you hear the word slavery, the picture in your mind is in black and white, that fast needs updating. Because slavery today is in full color. It is alive and well. It just looks a little bit different to how it used to, right? So slavery today looks like sexual exploitation. Looks like the teenage girl promised a job and then held in a brothel, right? It looks like bonded labor. So the the Bangladeshi family in the factory making our clothes, or uh, the children mining minerals for their smartphones we all use, right? It looks like child labor, so young children uh, sent out on fishing boats in in Ghana or or Thailand. It looks like uh, domestic servitude, slavery within the confines of a home, Um, It looks like even that brand new form that I mentioned, online exploitation, where where children are abused over the internet. It's it's the fastest growing type of slavery at the moment, and one that we as the UK are having a massive part in, in terms of the demand. And you know what? If those descriptions disturb and upset you, and provoke you to want to do something and make you angry, then you're not alone we see that God's reaction is equally as disturbed and upset when it comes to injustice, particularly slavery. And that brings us to this passage in Exodus. And this section that we just read in chapter 3, starting at verse 7, is one of those foundational passages that we return to time and time again at IJM where God miraculously interrupts Moses in an amazing way and gives him a vision for the sort of kingdom that God wants to bring for those who are in slavery. 
And as you know, I know you've looked at it um, for a few weeks now, as you know, he commands Moses to go to the biggest slave owner in the world, at the time the Pharaoh, and to lead his people who are suffering out into freedom. And in this interaction, this conversation between God and Moses, Moses and God, we see God's reaction to people who are oppressed. And first of all, we see that God reveals his passion. He says, I have seen the misery of my people and I am really concerned about them. He reveals his passion. God's heart beats fast for those who are oppressed, those who are vulnerable, those who are in slavery, those who are downtrodden, brokenhearted, beaten up by life. And he says, I am concerned. You know, these are not the words of a cold or a distant God, but of a father who sees and hears the cries of his children. Consistently throughout scripture, we see it as people that move the heart of the Father. And he reveals his passion for those who are suffering. And what does he say about it? He says, I have come down to rescue them. God's plan is one to bring a hurting people up and out of darkness into the light to bring freedom, to bring healing, to rewrite the story of a whole generation to become one of total liberation. That's his passion. Now, years before, we know that Moses had tried to do something, right? He had tried to take matters into his own hands, and in fact, it didn't go so well. So I know that if I was Moses, I think I'd be feeling, I don't know, buzzing by this point. Thank goodness. You know, finally, God cares. Finally, he's coming down at last until it dawns on Moses that it's him. Oh, no. God says to Moses, I am sending you. You know, just as much as this is a passage about God's passion, this is a passage about destiny. You know, just as Moses is sent to unlock the destiny of a nation who are destined to live in freedom, this is also a call to fulfill his personal destiny too. You know, as much as this is about freeing a nation of slaves, it's about freeing Moses as well. You see, when Moses was born, we read about it in chapter 2, his mother knew that he was a special child. And I think probably every new parent looks at their child and thinks this one's special, right? But somewhere along the line, Moses has lost his way. So when God calls him back to his purpose, to be part of the destiny of a whole nation who are living in slavery, he's actually calling Moses to his own destiny too. You see, when we partner with the passions of God, we're invited to join hands with a God who has an incredible destiny for us, his children, as well. And thirdly, God promises to Moses, I will be with you. 
Now he is reminding him that this all flows out of relationship, of intimacy with God. It's not a case of God, you know, just sending him off to crack on and we'll see you later in 40 years. No, he promises to be with Moses every step of the way. And in fact, what follows is one of the most intimate moments of scripture where God reveals his name to Moses. You know, the call to bring freedom is a call to stay close to the father who frees the father who is passionate about those who are suffering, who has an incredible destiny for each one of the children he created, promises to be present as we work with him, as we love and live alongside him to bring freedom to the world around us. This is really good news in the face of injustice. I'd love if you'd allow me just to show you a little bit of how we're seeing God work in this way around the world today. I'd like to just take you on a little journey back to the Philippines, where joy is from. And the nation of the Philippines in the early 2000s used to pretty much be known as the global epicenter of child trafficking, the ground zero for the abuse of children, and particularly that of really young children caught in slavery. My colleagues uh, described visiting there in the early 2000s about how children would be openly marketed in the streets, how people from around the world, tourists, would flock there because in under an hour you could land in the airport and then be anywhere in the city paying less than $10 to do whatever you'd like. The problem was out of control, really. IJM began working there. Uh, We began rescuing children and then working with the local police to to arrest the criminals, to, to train the police to help fix a system that was just at breaking point. And after a couple of years, we were actually given a grant Uh, by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to research what was going on, to see what impact, if any, uh, was happening. This diagram here uh, represents children at the time who are in the sex trade in the capital city. Now, over a four-year period, the aim, the academics said, was to see a reduction, and if you go on to the next slide for me, by 20%. That was the aim. That was what was projected from rescuing children, from training police, from holding criminals to account, to to working to fix the broken system. What we actually experienced, what the academics found, was over four years, a 79% reduction in child trafficking. Four years, 79%. And the academics cited two key reasons for this turnaround. So number one, some of the kind of main criminals were actually behind bars. Some of those who were like the key ringleaders actually weren't on the streets anymore, doing what they were doing, trafficking children. And number two, they cited the multiplier effect of that. So the kind of ripple effect, you know, you take down a a kind of key criminal, the rest aren't brave, so they crack on and get a different job, right? 
But we would cite a third reason. And that was, for the nation of the Philippines at this time, we saw an incredible move of prayer. We saw people of God around the world look injustice in the face, begin to pray, and then not back down. And you see, this is the even more extraordinary part of the modern slavery story. That not only is slavery more vast than ever before, but it is more stoppable than ever before. Four years, 79% reduction. In Cambodia, we saw an 89% reduction in a slightly longer period of time. And you know what? If it is possible there, I think it's possible in India. I think it might be possible in Romania. I think it might be possible here in the UK too. And the aim is that we really do ourselves out of a job. Because God's plan to bring rescue didn't end with the Israelites, and nor did his call to bring freedom end with Moses. So I wonder what our part might be today. You know, I am highly aware that we aren't all sitting here called to just go out to the Philippines or India or Cambodia. Though, if that is you, um, please let me know. We'll chat afterwards. You know, William Wilberforce, when fighting the transatlantic slave trade, said that three things would be needed to see the end of slavery. He said three things were needed. Money, awareness, and prayer. I think the guy had a good point. You know, some of you will be moved to give money towards this sort of work. You know, some of you will be moved to give generously. Yeah? I used to be really British about this, and I realized that it served nobody well. So if that is you, you can do that tonight. There are some leaflets on the welcome desk. I would love to invite you to give generously. That might be you. Secondly, Awareness. You know, you even being here tonight, you are beginning to make yourself aware. You've not hidden from the uncomfortable truth. And I'd like to invite you to continue that journey into awareness. In a couple of weeks' time, we are launching a Lent challenge called Slave Free Lent, which is all about going slave free and learning about the issue of modern day slavery in a sort of 40 day challenge. I would love to invite you as a community to consider taking part in this. It's really easy. All you need to do is sign up online. The website's there. Um, IGMUK.org forward slash slave free Lent. Okay? And use that 40-day period up to Easter to actually learn about this, to educate yourself, to make yourselves aware as what our part in the story of ending slavery might be here today in Durham in 2020. Join me on it. I'm going to do it. We'll see how we get on. And thirdly, as IJM, the thing we cover most, honestly, is your prayer. Now, as some of you will know about IJM, we are as much a prayer movement as we are on the ground movement. And, uh, you know, every member of staff, um, we're all contracted to pray an hour a day. How nuts is that? Um, I joke with my friends that I'm a professional prayer. Um, and honestly, the only reason why we're seeing miraculous breakthrough is because there is a whole community around the world who drops to their knees and prays. 
No, we can only go into dark and dangerous situations clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, slavery is one of the most abusive, violent ways that the enemy tries to steal, kill, and destroy people. And there is a demonic power behind slavery that uses the greed in people's hearts to trap others. And it will only take the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring breakthrough. If you can pray, I would urge you, please do so. I've put some cards on the welcome desk again that you can fill in your details. Sign up to pray. And what you'll get is an email into your inbox every fortnight with details of rescues and raids that are going out and that you can pray and be part of the front line sending rescue in that way too. Now in just a moment, we're going to move back into a time of worship and a time of prayer and a time to respond. But if you're getting that heart beating faster thing as I'm talking, can I encourage you? Don't walk away today without talking to somebody. Don't let the busyness and noise of everyday life drown out God's calling to you. Tell somebody. Take that first step of action. Pray with somebody. Before we move back into worship, I could wonder if I could leave you uh, with a thought. And it is both a comfort and a challenge. And that is, you cannot do everything. But you can do something. What is the something that God might be calling you to today? In a world where 40 million are enslaved. After all, God has always been looking to set the captive free. He's still looking for those who will stand and say, let's my people go. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.